Welcome back to another episode of The Silent Battle. I hope everyone is having a great week so far. I am super excited for this segment today. Again, I am your host, Erica Honeycutt, and today I will be interviewing a really, really good friend of mine, and her name is Diane Brooks. However, I call her Mrs. Brooks because she actually was my middle school principal. So I don't care how old I am, she's always going to be Mrs. Brooks to me. <laughs> Mrs. Brooks was diagnosed with multiple sclerosis, MS, back in August of 2006 and is currently in complete remission. Today she is going to share her raw and candid story about her journey with MS and how she managed her symptoms. Also, she will give us some tips, if she has any, on what may help you all out there to live life more easily as we battle our autoimmune diseases. Let's get started. Welcome, Mrs. Brooks. Thank you for being part of the Silent Battle podcast today. Thank you for including me, Erica. Ms. Brooks, can you share your story with us regarding when multiple sclerosis showed up in your life? Well, Erica, it seems that multiple sclerosis had been in my life a long time, and mm-hmm. I really didn't know it. In the spring of 2004, as an occupational therapy assistant for Benchmark Physical Therapy, my daughter and her team had a client that had multiple sclerosis, and they were supporting her by going to the MS Walk in Coolidge Park in Chattanooga. Well, one of the therapists was not able to go, so they asked Mom if she wanted to join this little crew walking for that lady. Mm-hmm. Well, after the walk, there were multiple doctors and therapists who were introducing people with MS, and they were telling their stories. As I listened, I heard my own story multiple times. So the next week, I visited my doctor and told her about this and asked her if I could possibly have multiple sclerosis. Well, unbeknown to me, this doctor had lupus. She never told me that until she moved away from our little town. Hmm. I really believe that her own experience with an autoimmune disease gave her insight to help me. She immediately sent me for an MRI of my brain and spine. Well, the MRI noted a lesion indicative of multiple sclerosis in the right lobe of my brain. And my doctor said it was worth finding an MS specialist. So she and I started searching the MS Society website. One name kept reoccurring. So I asked if she thought that we could possibly get this doctor as my doctor. Mm -hmm. And she was able to get an appointment with me, for me, with him. And MS is just a crazy kind of thing. You never know what you're going to get and when you're going to get it because it's not the same thing every day. Mm-hmm. So that she, was when she, I first, when it really first entered my mind and entered my life that I might have MS. So you went, she got you an appointment with the specialist, um, or with the doctor about the uh, the MS? Yeah, having this crazy doctor, being a researcher myself, led me to finding this doctor because I was in a quest for my own health, not just something else. 
So the doctor made me an appointment, and the process to delineate all other possible causes of symptoms started. It was a two-year process with many doctors and many tests. I mean, they tested to see if I had a hole in my heart causing the symptoms. They tested for everything under the sun, I think. What but symptoms? They, there's, there's not a definitive test for MS. What symptoms did you have in the beginning before you were diagnosed with the MS? Well, actually, I'd had symptoms since I was a kid. Nobody in my family had any idea what caused me to be real sensitive to heat or have times when my legs would cramp like crazy. Mm -hmm. Anytime I got hot, I'd just pass out. I'd think like some old lady at an election that just needed some attention. But and somebody would actually have to get a cool cloth or some ice and bring me back to alertness. More than once, when I would fall, I would injure myself. We'd be at the emergency room. My legs would hurt so badly during the night, or at times they'd just cramp up. My little sweet mama, when I call her, she would come and massage them, and she'd do that for hours. She was just a blessing always mm -hmm. as a mama, the epitome of mamas. But I had tingling in my extremities and my legs, arms, and I'd think, what in the world is going on with me? And I would have these really bad migraine headaches. And the symptoms were always worse on my left side. My dad had had a lot of these symptoms, so mama just thought I inherited something from his side of the family. His mom died when he was 16, and there's pictures of her leaning to the left mm. and they talked about the symptoms she had so it was like something hereditary but then in August 6th of 2006 my neurologist called me at school just minutes before I had to go speak at a celebration of achievement ceremony and if you remember I really loved those ceremonies Yes. and he gave me the good news that I had remitting relapsing multiple sclerosis and set up a time to begin treating oh wow how did you? I made it through that though. How how did how did you manage the symptoms once you found out that you know your diagnosis? Well, once I was diagnosed, my neurologist began to treat the symptoms with a variety of medications. And by variety, I mean I had lots of medications to treat this symptom, that symptom whatever, evidently he had those in his arsenal and he dispensed them. Mm -hmm. In the beginning though, the main treatment was massive doses of steroids through infusions. Mm -hmm. I had home health. These steroids, it was tough. They had side effects that increased your blood pressure, increased your glucose levels, and then, well, all right, got some blood pressure medicine to go with you. You got some pills to treat your high sugar levels so you're not a diabetic all the time I'd go to work as a principal I'd come home for a few hours for home help I'd go back to work after my infusion at times I couldn't work though because I was so weak fatigue was so bad the fatigue was just unreal wow. so to treat that I got a prescription for Concerta or Ritalin to combat it Mm -hmm. And that helped me stay focused in order to work and drive safely. And I thought, boy, I wish I'd had some of these all those years. That might have helped me be a better student. Uh, 
I was valedictorian of my senior class, so I don't know how much better you get, but it would have helped me stay on task. Yeah. I was thinking I was just going to get killed by my parents if I didn't. <laughs> but at this time, there were mainly only infusions and injections to treat MS. There was no oral, there were no oral drugs, just mainly infusions and injections. And I really didn't want to take infusions. So I chose an injection. The first medication I was given was a daily Capaxone. The mm-hmm. nurses taught me how to inject myself. You know, that's hard to give yourself shock. I'm sure. And they told me just pop up on my sink, sit there, and put it in my hip first because it hurt the least. Well, I didn't find that to be the least. Even it in my belly hurt the least for me. But I had to rotate these injections every day so that you don't ruin one side. You, so there are seven sides from my upper arms to my thighs to my belly to my hips. And I slowly began to show improvement. I was on this capacitor seven years. But a side effect of Capaxone is it destroys the fat cells in the injection site. Mm-hmm. So I was going to have to try something else because injecting into those sites, especially my arms and my thighs, became so painful. And I still swear I don't have the fat everybody else has in their upper arms and thighs. I look like a chicken mm-hmm. when I walk because I have chicken legs now. Oh, but you're beautiful. Thank <laughs> I would have periods of inactivity, and that's when they call it remitting. Then I would relapse and have symptoms again. One of the saddest days I remember was Mother's Day of 2008. Mm-hmm. I had a severe exacerbation, they call them, and I was bedridden. Mm-hmm. And I had been in a wheelchair for several weeks at that time. And I was having a really hard time emotionally and physically because I was thinking, is this what I've got to expect? Is this what my life is going to be? Because my doctor told me to expect to be on some kind of form of physical assistance, wheelchair, cane, something within 10 years. And I thought, well, this is not 10 years. This is 2008. This is only two years. Right. So it was really a scary time. Oh, I'm sure. You know, that was that's kind of leading into my next question was what challenges did you face, not only physically, but mentally, um, when you were diagnosed with your MS? Well, the medications, especially the steroids, were very hard. They took away my ability to do things I've been used to doing with my daughter, my kids at school, and the medications took my strength, and I couldn't attend a lot of the basketball games because, you know, there are multiple basketball games in a week always. Right. And so I started getting criticized by the parents and by people on my staff. And that was really hard because it had always been so important to me to be top-notch and do everything To be involved. So it affected how I felt about me and about the job I was doing. I loved my kids. I loved my school. I loved my job as a principal. I was not a slacker. People were thinking I was a slacker. I had a disease that was robbing me of my life. Then in 2013, I'd been reading about this new medication in pill form. I begged my neuro to let me try it. So he enrolled me in trials for Obagio. 
it was like a miracle drug. One little pill, no shots, no side effects other than my stomach hurt right in the center like somebody had soccer punched me. Mm -hmm. Well, so I cut the dose in half until my body adjusted. It's wonderful. So the side effect, though, was my BP was gradually climbing in a neuro, again, that BP medication I told you about earlier. Right. And the bad thing, and I didn't realize this, I mean, until you take your symptoms and really look at all your the effects of medications, I mean, you just trust your doctor. But this BP was gradually climbing, and I was taking the medicines, but it would spike. Now, when your blood pressure spikes, that's dangerous. Yeah. But no, nobody told me that. But that was some of the challenges I, that I faced. Wow. And but I, the neuro kept reassuring me that, oh, your blood pressure's not consistently high enough to cause a stroke. Mm-hmm. But I was concerned because my family had a history of hemorrhagic strokes. But there was some positives. I was having fewer and fewer MS symptoms. And my MRIs were showing that the lesions had become like black holes. That means they're healed. Wow. So I was not relapsing. But once you've had damage to your brain, it's still there. Mm-hmm. You can learn how to overcome deficits and work at those. But the damage is there. And, but the main thing is so many people think autoimmune diseases are fake because you can't see them. Right. But, but they're real. It's Absolutely. not visible. But it really changes our lives and the lives of the people we love. And that's why people I... who do not deal with autoimmune diseases do not have a basis to understand. No, they don't. And that's why I said, you know, you can appear completely fine on the outside, but on the inside, you could be battling for your life. The main physical challenges I have were being able to care for my family and do my best job as a principal. I wanted to be able to do everything that I'd done before at the same level I did after diagnosis. Mm-hmm. But the biggest physical challenge was a change in my eyesight, and I still deal with that. I began to need large screens to magnify and large print media, mm-hmm. and the Board of Education, they were wonderful. They got me everything that was available at the time. I mean, what was available at that time? nothing compared to what's out there now. Right. I mean, you know, this little phone I have in my hand, it can do anything. It is the greatest asset to someone with a disability. But (laughs) mentally, dealing with people who didn't understand, that's the greatest challenge because it's so hurtful. Yeah. But June 9, 2016, my BP spiked. My blood pressure was 208 over 112. Wow. My, uh, I had a hemorrhagic stroke. Took them all day to figure it. They just thought my sodium would bottom out. Mm-hmm. That's all they could get in their head. They did not do a CT. Finally, I was losing all consciousness. My daughter says I asked for a CT. They did the CT. I'd had a hemorrhagic stroke. Oh my there was a, there was a brain bleed, and so they med flighted me to Erlanger. And Erlanger told me that only 20% of people survive these type of strokes. But I came home 
to my grandbabies in my family five days I wasn't perfect but I was alive and there was hope and I had some wonderful therapists and I had my own personal OT therapist who could help me with any kind of life skills but it's such uh, a blessing yeah but you know what I don't have those crazy migraine headaches anymore than I'd had since I was a kid and I don't have any active lesions so whatever damage there is you know, I, I kid sometimes. I say, well, you know, I got brain damage. Mm-hmm. That, you know, it's a good excuse. But the truth is, God had given me a miracle. But I had lots of rehab to get back to my life. Yeah. Abadjo was a good medication, but he had side effects, raising my BP. The lesson here is to be aware of the side effects and monitor yourself closely. you got to be your own advocate. Absolutely, yes. I think um, I got ahead of your question. No, no, you're fine. Because, you know, I've one of my questions, which you've kind of covered, is I was going to ask, you know, I know you're a wife, a mother, a grandmother. Um, with that being said, how did your family um, deal and cope with you having MS? Um, and, and I say that because, uh, you know, a lot of times, you know, people tend to forget that, you know, your spouses and children are right beside you going through you know what you're yes. going through so you know how, how did they I, deal with i've this known thing? people whose families i've known people whose spouses left them when they were diagnosed that's sad it is means they didn't love them to start with i think but still because we never know what life will hand us no you don't but my family i couldn't have asked for more support i mean it was wonderful to have my own OT, but she's always been here to help me. And John Brooks is the most supportive man that anybody can have. Mm-hmm. He's helped me through all of it. I mean, it's not always been easy, but that vow we took in sickness and health, you know? Yeah. He's been there. We, you know, I think I've been there for him. That's just that's just what real love is it is my family as a whole have been really good now John's family they were not there for me and they always thought I kind of made it up too Mm -hmm. they were not ever supportive so that was hurtful but my family on my side they had I mean my mama my sweet little mama she was always here for me and she I mean she been through all that with my dad she was so sweet I mean my dad died at 53 years old and mama lived to be nine and she had a couple of dates she wasn't going with any of those crazy men (laughs) so uh, she remained just being granny and everybody in the world and mama and taking care of everybody the rest of her life and she was terrific at it what do you think is most important for our listeners that are battling their autoimmune diseases to know? What I think is most important is that we have to learn about our disease and know when we're having something go on and find ways to counteract it, ways that work to make our lives easier and I found that exercise is a great thing. 
and uh, you know can you elaborate more on, on, on that well in my line of work I always wrote 504 plans and IEPs individual education plans so when you find that you have a deficit you need to find a way to counteract it mm-hmm. and I would do lots of research and I would find people who had the same kind of thing going on because we all need somebody in life. Right. So everybody needs to take their autoimmune disease and help themselves because somebody else cannot always help you. And you have to be able to be your own best advocate. Yes. So um, we need to be aware of what's out there as far as medications. Right. But it's not just medications. We have to physically take care of ourselves and take be able to research and know how to overcome deficits that we have. And if we don't know how ourselves, then we need to find somebody that can. Yes. But when I had come home from having that stroke, I had to have cognitive therapy for six months. I actually had to relearn how to comprehend. I could read the words. That's like one of those kids that just read words. <laughs> so, but anyway, I told the guy, he's bringing this. I said, why are you bringing this baby work to me? You better be bringing me something on graduate level because I want to be back where I was. And I did make it back. So I still teach my classes there. But I love teaching my college classes. Thing I see is that people have to be their own advocate and have to have to teach themselves skills. I mean, you can find anything on YouTube. Mm-hmm. So I've learned lots of new skills and staying active and being what everything you need to be is the main thing. Do you um, have anything else that you want to share or add to today's segment? Yeah. Whatever autoimmune disease, whatever disability, people need to read and stay abreast of the new treatments and ways to adapt their lives because you don't always find that out just going to a doctor. And don't be afraid to ask for help. If you need help, ask for it. There are lots of people who can help. Find family and friends who are supportive and network with others that have the same autoimmune disease you have. One of the main things, though, is staying healthy. Yes. Eating right. If you're overweight, work on losing it. Find a physical therapist or an occupational therapist who will work with you and design a program to address your needs. And I have a wonderful physical therapist who's helped me with a lot of yoga stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, I am amazed at what yoga can do for you. At age 67, I am in the best physical shape. I have ever been and that's not bragging I'm just proud of myself and how far I've come yeah and um but and you should be you should be really proud of yourself and that's the thing that I have found most helpful is we used to go to the MS walks they haven't had them since uh since COVID so but going to those MS walks and seeing other people 
in all stages of MS was one of the best things I ever did because I was able to walk alongside them and I learned things from them and I saw a lot of people they were not giving up and that's the main thing is every day you put one foot in front of the other and you go forward every day is not wonderful no but you can make your life what you need it to be what you want it to be you may have to adapt but if you do so it's nobody's business but yours how you adapt and there's more to doing for yourself than letting others do for you or because nobody can really do it for you you can have a lot of support but the best thing is to find out who you are deep down inside and find out your strengths and your weaknesses and major on your strengths I couldn't agree more and also just to add to that you know and I believe you know keeping a positive attitude is important as well 